0: listening to Voices of Value, a selection of valuable insights designed to help you get more out of your professional and personal life through simple and easy-to-adopt life lessons. If you're keen to enjoy a better quality of life at work and at home, sit back and join the conversation with your hosts, Peter Kakos and Rick Rushton. Voices of Value episode
1: 25, Peter Kakos here with our good friend Rick Rushton. Rick, welcome back and haven't we got something
2: special today? I'm up on my toes, Pete, I'll be honest. This is an (laughs) exciting interview for me. I think last week with Sammy Harper was outstanding and uh, it's going up another notch. I'm actually feeling like a uh, kid living his uh, sporting dream at the moment. And it's not often we get to speak to, in our
1: lives, get to speak to the best of the best, the elite in the sporting arena and today we've absolutely, we are in illustrious company.
2: So let's give some of our listeners some context around the interview we're about to do. And for those who are not in AFL states, you know, those that follow NRL, Nathan Buckley's career as an AFL footballer is right up there with the best of the best. I think Mike Sheehan put him in the top 50 of the greatest all-time players to have ever played the game. And so for those who don't know, Buck's entered the AFL program in 1993, coming off a premiership year in 92 in the SANFL in Adelaide for Port Adelaide, won the McGarry Medal, which is the highest honour you can get in that competition. In 93, he won the very first ever, Pete, AFL Rising Star Award. and. Went on to win the highest individual honor you can in our game, which is, of course, the Brownlow medal. Won a Norm Smith medal in a grand final from the losing side. That happens like 99 times out of 100. It's always going to go to the winning team's players, but Bucks was that good on that day. Even in a losing side, he stood out. He is a seven-time All-Australian team member, a six-time Copeland Trophy member. He went straight in to the Collingwood team of the century. He is, by any measure, one of the most credentialed individual players to have ever played the game. Game. He was ninety seconds away, from Pete, from being awarded a very unique uh, award, which would have been the coach's award from a premiership player. So he would have had the only person to have ever played the game and coached the game to the highest level to win all of those accolades. When you think about that, it gives us some sort of quantification about the person we're about to interview.
1: And it's really important that um, th- those AFL fans y- you put aside because Collingwood's a team that you either. Let's be fair. You yep. either love or you hate them, <laughs> yep. uh, and I don't like to use that that word hate, but it is um, it is quite a strong feeling that some would have towards Collingwood. And and Rick, I first met Bucks. Uh, it was a it was a few years ago now when you invited me to a leadership yep. day down at Collingwood. Yep. I walked out of there with the most utmost respect. Yep. for a, a man who is just sensational in every way, shape, and form. By the by, when I say sensational, I mean he is just a true leader. He yep. really is. And just to get behind the Herald Sun or The Age and the reports that sort of go out and to have a look and listen to the inside of the mind of, uh, of elite sports people, but now an incredible coach and leader of a um, one of the biggest organisations, if not the biggest organisation in Australia, to delve into that mind and to listen to the uh, to the thoughts and strategies of, of someone like that is is incredibly beneficial. And today we, we are... We're, we're in a very fortunate position, aren't we?
2: Well, we certainly are. And I think a lot of people have told me over the last few years, they've noticed the bucks has changed last year. I've seen that change probably for the better part of uh, six years now. So I think we're going to get a bit more of an in-depth understanding of that from the man himself. So I think we get on with it, eh? Nathan, welcome to Voices of Value.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Mate, we've done a very big introduction around your individual achievements throughout your AFL career, starting from the SANFL, the McGarry Medal, the Brownlow Medal, the Norm Smith Medal. You've got more medals than a returning you know, general, we think. So uh, when, we, when we sort of say those sorts of things, and you obviously have that... As your track record, a lot of players while they're playing the game say, "I'll think about that and reflect on that when I actually finish playing." Have you had a chance to reflect back on your body of work as a player in the AFL now that you've been out of the playing system for the better part of a decade and a bit?
3: Yeah, I, I have, and I think when you um, when you're still in the industry as a as a coach and and someone who's you know trying to provide an environment, um, information, support, um, encouragement. For the next um, you know, generation of young players to to live their dreams and to maximise you know, their talent and their potential, it reminds you every day about um, the journey that you've travelled. No doubt, if you take the opportunity to reflect, um, you know, any of the things that, that I've collected along the way in terms of you know, accolades or um, medals, um, I, they I, I need to I have to be transparent and honest when. When, um, whenever I'm at an engagement and someone rattles that off, I, um, I, I, I don't think it actually is representative of my journey. I don't actually think about my, my experiences in football and think about things that you might have accumulated that, um, people might, um, put on a pedestal. It's actually more about, um, the experiences, the personal growth, uh, the relationships that you've had along the way. Um, Yeah, the 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 key there might be key moments that sort of that consolidate in your mind and in your heart um, that are more um, beneficial um, or are more important than um, than a medal that you might have won on a particular day or or even a even a best and fairest over a season. So I think when I think about my journey, I think more about you know the the humanitarian or the humanistic elements um, uh, and the real the organic nature of the environment that you're a part of rather than the rather than the stuff the shiny stuff at the end of it
1: pucks I want to delve right back into your early life first and foremost you are one of Australia's most elite sports people that's that's without a doubt there is no doubting that I would love to sort of delve back to your younger life uh, th- that young athlete what were you like in these formative years and what was your surroundings like what was your environment like then
3: yeah I think um there's obviously a lot of research. I'm, only, I'm a parent now to, to a ten-year-old and a twelve-year-old, and I'm wondering what sort of environment I need to create around <laughs> my kids to give them the best chance to have a um, a life that, that they are satisfied in, that they're challenged and and stimulated and passionate about. Um, and it's not necessarily in sport, but it's it's in whatever endeavor that they that's that actually you know comes into their view that they want to chase um when i reflect on my own um childhood i mean i i I went to 13 schools as a kid um we moved around i basically lived in every state at some point or another dad was a valuer and a football coach Mum was a community health nurse qualified nurse and and worked in community health so there was nowhere that that they couldn't find a job um and i've got no doubt that that um that, that transient child, childhood was um, you yeah, know was part of uh, um, you yeah, know built a pretty eclectic experience for me um, in many you know in many different ways in many different um, societies in many different places um, and I think that that's um, that's become part of me and part of who I am probably comfortable in most environments because of that um, being around football and, and having dad uh, out of the military and very, um, very regimented in the way that he went about it. Um, that he, that's how he drilled me as a, as a young footballer or as a, as a young man. Um, there was always a right way to do things, and there was a, an ex, a high expectation of um, being diligent and doing things the right way. Um, but then mum was, was probably the other way. She was. Um, she was all about enjoying the moment, smelling the roses, um, yeah, treating people well. Um, so I think the balance of Mum and dad and the experiences that we had um, as a young man as a as a child um, all went into the mix um, to to give me the opportunity to um, have the right perspective and the right attitude and that the drive necessary to make the most of my football career when I chose that.
2: And could tennis have been the actual uh, way through the sporting passport had football not uh, played out the way it did?
3: Yeah, well, at one stage there, I had a rock roll over my leg when I was um, 15 and I had uh, 80 stitches. I was uh, on crutches for a while in a, in a chair for probably two or three weeks and then in crutches for another sort of two or three months. I thought my tennis career was over at that point, Rick. Um, uh, I actually had some tears in the ambulance on the way f- between the the accident where the incident happened and the, and the hospital. I drove, we drove past the tennis courts, and I thought, yeah, that's that's my tennis dream gone. <laughs> um, and I, I, I did, I, I, I rebelled from away from Dad to play tennis because it was it's not something that he was as passionate about. He wasn't over the top of me as hard um, through sort of the years when I was fourteen and fifteen, and I was going to head down that path, but. Um, no, I always sort of got drawn back to the group sports, the team sports. And, and I think that was the want to um, to be a part of uh, a group, um, to be validated you know, in amongst a group of people for your contribution to them and to, to share in um, the highs and lows with a group of people, which was why I think football um, was ultimately more important or, or I was drawn to it more over an individual sport.
1: You arrived uh, at, at Collingwood with a fair bit of expectation from Brizzy. Uh, you walk, You actually walked into a, a fairly good club uh, at that particular time. They were up and about the pies well and truly. So there was a fair bit of expectation about the Nathan Buckley arriving at the new club and yeah. surrounding yourself with – that was one of the best midfields going around at that particular time without a doubt. How did you uh, handle as a young guy that, that expectation and uh, and also the dream of arriving at the Collingwood Footy Club?
3: Well, I handled it pretty well because it was all I wanted. Um, there was everything that I'd, that I'd hoped for. I was I was happy to be um, in the public eye. I was I was happy to be um, um, spoken about and speculated on. And um, you know, it would it was probably as a stronger driving factor as any um, for me as a young man was was to be relevant um, and to be. Um, and to be seen as someone who was important enough to even be discussed, um, and football was was really a vehicle for me in those those early days of AFL and and through SANFL. So after leaving school, of of feeling like I was my life had meaning and and that I was of relevance. So any of that feedback, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, was um, was probably how I judged um, my. Status at the time um, So the year at Port Adelaide in 92 was was Huge and that happened really quickly um, And I was really well supported by Port Adelaide In that um, and by you know, Jack Hale coach and then The next year in 93 at Brisbane Which was first year as a- AFL And I just wanted to test myself And love the fact that um, I was Moving forward and um, With a you know, with the opportunity to, to, to be better, to to um, show my wares and to test myself against the, the best players in the in the in the country. And then um yeah, to move to Collingwood in ninety four, um, and know that we were gonna play in front of crowds of sort of ninety thousand plus quite often, um and that we were going to be speculated on and you're gonna be judged. That was everything that I was happy to to, um, face at that point. So really, it was everything that I wanted. I think I handled it okay um, with my level of awareness at the time.
2: I think um, it's fair to say, mate, that your whole early days was about you as an individual footballer. And I know that that's a, a thing that you don't sort of like being described about you. But there was a, a real transition, as you'd expect from any player coming in early and then playing through maturity throughout the, uh, the length of their career. Towards the end of your career, you ended up being recognised not just for the individual talent that you were, but for the leader that uh, I think Tony Shaw initially thought you could be. Are you happy to share the Scotty moment where your leadership really sort of took off.
3: Yeah, well that happened. Yeah, so he Scotland played you um, Yeah, played over two hundred games for for Collingwood and Carlton, um, and you know, was a young eighteen year old um, at Collingwood at the end of two thousand. So I'd, I'd now been at the clubs so through the nineties, and um, Peter Walsh. said that you know we we're a good club and we we're in decent shape when we arrived in ninety eight in ninety four. Um, after the 1990 premiership, the club actually didn't win a final until 2002. So we went 12 years without winning a final, let alone um, let alone sort of challenging for a flag. It was um, it was a it was a dry period for for the for the club and for everyone involved, and there was a lot of soul searching that took place, and and I was one of those people um, given. The high profile that I had and the expectation that was on me and the expectation I put on myself, you know, I was fairly driven through those late 90s and individually performed, but there was no team success. So at one point there, as a 28-year-old, I sort of thought, well, what's what's this all about? This is not really (laughs) – I've enjoyed the individual success, but it's not what I really thought that it would be. I want more – I'd love to have more team success. I'm the captain of the footy club there's something there's something in the mix that's not quite right. So, I spoke to a few people before heading away on a European trip with Tanya for six weeks uh, whilst the Olympics was on in Sydney. And one of those conversations was, was with Heath, with an eighteen year old Heath Scotland and I asked him um, how he thought I could be a better leader and he he says well you know when I'm when I'm speaking to you I don't think you're listening I think you're just waiting for the next chance to tell me what you want to tell me. Um, and it did really hit me like a sledgehammer, and it was, it was a really accurate bit of feedback. I was more interested in, in telling than listening, in, um, in giving advice than, than um, being supportive. Um, and that, um, that was a catalyst for a little bit of uh, my next evolution of personal growth. And I really changed, you know, actually created a mission statement around being the best, I could, helping others be the best they could be. Um, rather than me me being the best I could be, so that was it was a real shift for me, and I enjoyed my footy and and my involvement and contribution to the footy club and to and to my teammates and and coaches uh, so much more uh, after that than I did before.
2: Does Scotty know that you that he actually called you out on that, bucks? Does it? Does he know that yeah. he hasn't had that impact on you?
3: Yeah. Yeah and then he has been mentioned at pretty well pretty much every one of my talks any any talk that I've given <laughs> since that point but yeah, no, he's um yeah I mean Scotto was um it's probably highlights to me how any any person that you meet at any time might have uh, might have the capacity to Change your life forever, really, if if you're open enough to it. Um, and that's why I think not judging a book by its cover is important. You, you, the youngest, you know, so he's 18, an 18-year-old 18 guy from the country. You know, so he's um, and he and he hadn't played a lot of he hadn't even looked like playing senior footy. And and he was significant for me for the captain of the, the Collin Footy Club at the time. So. Whether, you know, whether you meet someone, knock, you're knocking to someone in the street or you've known them for 20 years or, you know, it's mum and dad or if it's, um, you know, it's a young guy or an old guy I mean, they're, they're, or, a, or a woman, um, you know, giving a footballer advice or giving a, it really is, you never know when your next little, you know, tidbit um, or inspiration is going to come from and, it's it's really a capacity to stay open-minded and open-hearted to the possibility of that, and um, I definitely believe in it because uh, it's benefited me more than once over well, more than a handful of times over my career and had really quantum shifts for me.
1: That's a great segue, Bucks, into uh, into leadership. And I've had the uh, the pleasure of hearing you speak a few times now, and I just get a total. I said this in the intro actually that I just get a, I had a total epiphany. You know, uh, being around you and listening to you. Behind what the Herald Sun or the Age reports or anything like that have said over the years, um, mm-hmm. just to hear how you go about your leadership and your thinking, and I want to talk about a little bit about how that's grown over your sort of coaching career. But before we do that, is to go back say when you took over the Pies, um, Collingwood Footy Club back in 2011 from Malthouse. From the outside looking in, it would have seemed like you were handed a gift. You know, he's mm-hmm. a he's a you know a premiership winning team. Um, you know, the, the, there's different stages of people's career within that team, but how did you view the new role and the team and so forth and how did you go about, you know, a, a rebuild and a, and a new era, the Buckley era of the Collingwood Footy Club back then in 2011? What were, what were your thoughts around that?
3: Yeah, I mean, even, even the way that you, um, you preface it or proposition it with the Buckley era, I mean, it's, it, um, I can understand that it. it's, it's easier for people to – to perceive it in that way, I mean, I, I mean, there's only one senior coach at every club um, at the of the 18 AFL clubs, and um, I think the understanding of the influence of a senior coach um, is not great um, from from um, from anyone outside of a football club. I mean, senior coaches used to be. Who used to do everything, and then probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there might have been a senior coach and a, and a, and a and his right hand man, and they would basically write the programs, run training, pick the teams, talk to the board. Um, there wasn't a lot of um, commercial aspect to it then, so they probably didn't have any much much else to do. But they would also be ringing mums and dads, you know, speaking, you know, understanding their players and finding out what they were doing for jobs, finding them jobs. That's very different. Um, we're big organisations now, and the senior coach is has a role within a very established and you know a strong network of people at a football at a football club and in a footy department that provide uh, different skill sets to the playing group and to each other. Um, but heading into, from my experience, heading in in at the end of 2011, our on-field success, you know, playing in a couple of grand finals, winning one drawing one winning one and losing one in the previous sort of 12 13 months was a you know pretty strong um, external um, view um, that, that that projected strength and possibility to to what was going um, what was what was possible at the footy club going forward um, I believe that as well um, there was no mandate for change in 2012 so there wasn't a lot of change Um and, and I, when I reflect on that, there might there might be things, attitudes, um, philosophies that may have been better served at that, at that stage for the, for the club's evolution and, and um, for the club's benefit from myself or from others. Um, but for what the, for what I knew and for what I was capable of at that time, um, uh, there was, there's was some things we got right and there's some things we got wrong. Um, ultimately the, the playing group dissipated pretty quickly um and we had to we had to regenerate in some shape or form you know in the three or four years sort of probably post 2013 um for right wrong or indifferent we're in decent shape now um I'm sure that everyone, every Collingwood fan would have an opinion on what was right and what was wrong. But as I said, it's it's really difficult unless you're in here to understand um, all of the variables that take place and, and the role, the different roles that um, people have in here and and what actually has a great influence, the greatest influence on success. And I've, I've learned as I've gone along and been more aware as I've gone along and I spend every day here. So yeah. it, it's, it's a tough one to really go through. But they were they were exciting years they were informative years for me um really strong um, learning experiences um and uh, but they were challenging at the same time
1: the scrutiny must be intense and and the pressure you know just amazing at levels that we could only imagine hey what's you coping like with that like how do you how do you deal with that what's your coping mechanisms around pressure and stress and you know that that, that spotlight being constantly on you
3: yeah, you know, I think um, I think my my adaptive strategies have changed quite a bit um, in the last, you know, as a senior coach, and and constantly, constantly, I think as we go through our lives, we find, especially if you are um, in a position where you are uh, judged um, consistently, or or that your performance is is analysed, um, especially in a public domain, I think it it just Brings to brings to light the fact that um, you know a constant improvement or constant um, uh, performance or improvement in performance um, is is something that people expect of you that that is um, part of the the challenge of of being in an elite environment or in a in a high pressure professional position. Um, my coping strategies have shifted and changed. I suppose um, one of the big differences is the level of importance that you place on one part of your life or another. And I think when we get that balance right, I think it's a lot easier to maintain um, a, a really healthy position of well-being, um, which buffers stress or pressure. Um, and I think when we get in those situations as, as people, when we get the, our balance right between say, you know, our personal health and well-being, exercise, diet, um, relationships with family and friends, uh, time spent for you, time spent for them, time spent with your work and just getting that balance right. I think you, you can buffer stress and pressure a lot, a lot more and in the last two or three years for me, I feel like I've found a really good balance with that. Um, early stages of my senior coaching career, early stages as an assistant coach and way back when, early stages as a professional footballer, um I don't think the balance was anywhere near as good I didn't have um, I didn't have the perspective of what was what was most important um, or didn't have that balance in my life as much and stress builds I, I think I was able to handle it because I'm fairly resilient um, mentally physically, emotionally resilient, um, had great support from friends and family. Um, even when they didn't agree with the way that I might have perceived things or the way that I handled things, I always felt really well supported, and I've become more thankful for that and had more gratitude for that as I become more aware of um, of how difficult that would have been to support me at times through um, through you know some self-centered or arrogant uh, decisions or or attitudes that I would have carried for for quite a time as a, as a young man. So. Um, that's been a challenge. It's been a journey. I don't know exactly if if that's made a lot of sense, but uh, but it, it does. It's constantly evolving, and I'm constantly learning about how to how to be um, healthy and and have great well-being whilst um, being in the job of a high-pressure position that's constantly scrutinised.
2: Well, I think it made total sense, mate, because we've been very fortunate in this podcast series where we've interviewed just last week Sammy Harper, who's a 22-year-old cricketer just living his dream, not thinking too much other than the next ball coming. But he talked about how he deals with uh, cricket on the road versus cricket at home and how he goes 10-pin bowling versus walking his dog versus you know, all these other things to help him. De stress, if that's the right word, before he actually has to perform, and it's all geared towards him being the best he can be when his best is required. And we also had a double episode with Bianca Chatfield, who you know quite well, obviously, with the work at the Collingwood Football Club as well, and well, sorry, at the Collingwood Sporting Club as we're now known. Um, And she talked about equanimity, the ability to perform well under the stress that's in your in your immediate space, based on how Mm. you have your setup, your organising principles. So she talks about the process leading up to the world championships or up to the commonwealth games or up to you know a a vixens sort of uh, grand final and things of that nature she talks about that process both sam and bianca bucks talked about the process they they just believe if their process is correct They'll trust that they've done enough work come the moment in time and the stress is really only really built up from the fact that they expect more from themselves than they could from, you know, than what anyone else could expect from them anyway. And Bianca said something really fascinating. She said, I was actually craving negative feedback from the coaches and that was becoming a, a principle that wasn't serving me. So I actually yeah. went to them and said, what am I actually doing well and where can I improve as opposed to, all right, start off and give me all the negativity that I've done. And she said that what that did was it shifted the stress away from, after the performance, finding out what she did wrong to actually giving herself some credit for what she actually did right. And Sam yeah. talked about that benefit of getting that from his coach, Andrew, Andrew McDonald, who's also his coach at the Bush Rangers at the Renegades, saying to him, you know, you've done the work. You go out there and perform, back yourself in, play your game and we'll support you no matter what. So he just went out there with a lot of freedom to perform. So I think that's what I'm sort of hearing in that answer for you. You've got to yeah. set, set up that point where you do what you do and know that if the people you value value you and give you feedback and performance, you're going to listen to it and the print media, the electronic media, whilst they've got a job to do, that's probably not as important to you in terms. Not saying you would ignore it, but it's not as important no. for you forming an opinion on how you how you're tracking to a degree.
3: No, I think that I think that um, one of the realities is is that we're all very di- everyone's different. Everyone has different um, needs, different levels of understanding, different times, um, different willingness to grow or to evolve or to learn. Um, you know, one of the things that was important for me early days was one of the few places that I could switch my mind off was to go to the movie. So I would do that the night before every game. And it just felt like I could escape from reality into whatever world I was watching for those couple of hours. I would actually, um, contrary to the opinion of me being the ultimate professional, I would actually have basically a, a leader of, Coke Choc and tops. A, pa- a, a pack of, No, no, mm-hmm. pack of cheese twisties. Every every <laughs> night, every night before a, every night before a game. There we go. And that was a, li- a little bit of you know reward and and um, gratification in some way for 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 the the sacrifices or the investment, the hard work that I've put in. So I would I would escape to another world. And whilst I was in that world, I'd, I'd be able to have Coke and twisties so I wouldn't feel so bad. <laughs> but then, but I didn't realise exactly what I was doing until I was past it and then reflected on it, that that was actually about escapism. That was about settling my mind, um, controlling my thoughts. But I stumbled on that and I didn't know what I was doing at the time but, and, but it was right for me. And so that was the process that I thought was right for me morning of a game I did need breaking and I would have but I would have two liters of cordial because I didn't want anything in my stomach now that wasn't ideal but it was something that I believed in and because I believed in it, and I performed but then that became self-fulfilling mm-hmm. so I think sometimes we actually create negative um, patterns because we get positive results in the short term and then we get locked in on it so it's important to step back and have a look and assess and go okay so bianca did and said well i I, I want negative feedback but now i want positive so let's let's have a look at what that does and i just think you just need to keep breaking those paradigms a little bit we don't want to get locked or dependent on a certain pattern of behavior or a certain routine and think that we are just that um and that is probably what happens as we as we go older as we get older and as we explore ourselves and our environment a little bit more. I think we it actually is really stimulating to be able to realise that you are not just this or you are not just that and you are capable of more than what you are capable of now and looking for that constant 1 or 2% improvement in in your life, let alone in productivity, uh, in your relationships, uh, in yourself, in the way you do yourself—that's uh, um, the thing that I'm most stimulated by in this environment, and what I hope to pro- that that attitude is what I hope to provide as much as I possibly possibly can to the players and the coaches and the staff um, at, at Collingwood.
1: Bucks, going back, you mentioned for about 2013 and things had to change and so forth. I'm, I'm really fascinated by the passing of the baton and, and the cultures of, of, of any sporting club. Um, what are you looking for in the new um, players coming through, the new people within an organisation that that need to lead or that you, you see that? What are you looking for? What are the little uh, tidbits in these players and these people, that you say, you know what, you're you're going to lead this club, you're going to be our leadership group. What's um, what's the common denominator? Do you see in these types of people?
3: Um, I think the common denominator is the confidence and capacity to to be everything that you are in that moment, so to to contribute all of yourself and to invest fully to the environment that you're a part of i think that is the prerequisite for leadership so that doesn't mean that you need to be outgoing or an introvert it doesn't mean that you need to be a great public speaker it doesn't mean that you need to be intellectual or otherwise um, it, it, i think i think the main the main prerequisite for leadership is one that you need to be comfortable in the environment. You need to be comfortable in your own skin. You need to be prepared to, um, to invest all of yourself into the endeavor that you're a part of, or that your group is a part of, or that your team is a part of. And, and, and through being yourself and through that passion that you have for what you're involved in, you lead. Um, and you, you inspire other people to do the same. So, mm. I think that's—I—I I don't know if I've heard that as such from a leadership model. Um, but I think that is the prerequisite. It's not about um, anything other than actually being comfortable enough in your own skin to to let it all hang out in front of in in front of the people and mm. with the people that you're a part of. And mm. that. So, so we. So that in that in that. In that um, sense and in that frame, leadership can come from anywhere, anytime, from anyone that is encouraged to be all of themselves. So, much the same as we were talking about with Heath Scotland, I mean, an 18 year old kid, I mean, that, that, they can be the person that provides the next spark of growth, development, or leadership. In, a, in an environment like the Collingwood Footy Club. Mm. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's the one thing that I'm looking for. Um, it's the one thing. It's, it's something that we preach and talk about quite often in the environment. Um, we need to have a very safe and supportive environment so that people that actually find that a little more difficult to be all of themselves or to take that to be vulnerable and to be genuine and authentic, it's, it's not easy for some to be that. Um, depending on their upbringing and and their reality um, in their life outside of the footy club Um, so we need to provide a really safe environment for people whether they're players or staff to come in here and be that Um, and as soon as you find people in that space you often will see great growth um, a very positive mindset um, a very strong work ethic that develops because they feel like they want to be a part of this and they want to contribute to it uh, and, and, and only then will you find out who the most influential um, and um, I suppose the strongest leadership potential um, amongst your people, only then will you find out who you actually will then choose as your leaders of your environment to, to, um, to be the role models and the people that set the standards um, and expectations for, for where you're going.
2: Yeah, Well, every leader we've interviewed on this series, Bucks, often talks about two words. They talk about authenticity, being authentic, and congruency, having the words and the behaviours and everything match. And, you know, clearly that's what I'm hearing there that you go searching for with your model. Wrapping up, because we know your time is very, very um, uh, precious, and uh, we're very thankful for this gift that you're giving us and our listening audience uh, right across Australia and New Zealand. Mate, um, going back, I don't want to sort of take you too far back to the negative times, but 2002 and three. Uh, lessons yes. you learnt there from the losing grand final do you think that they are as a player the lessons you learnt there are they going to be lessons you think you can bring into this current group that have just gone through a, a, an amazing journey at the end of last year and we're 90 seconds away from experiencing the mm. ultimate um, do you think you've got some time tested lessons that you can impart to the players that are still you know, selling up again this year let alone the recruits that have joined the club on, yeah. do you think there's some yeah. things you can share?
3: Um, look, i I suppose I haven't reflected on that, or, or it hasn't hasn't presented itself in at the at the top of mind or or um or or in my heart around that particular you know how relevant that is. I mean, we we were obviously no two went you know within nine points of winning a grand final against um, Brisbane, who were expected to win. Um so you fast-forward 16 years, which is a long time, and, and it was a totally different group. We're a different club. Um, we've gone through hardship and we've we've made great gains, and it was very similar, very similar, because O2, as I said, was was the first finals that the club had won since the 1990 flag. Yeah. Um, you know, we went through... You know, not, not not as long a um, drought, but we, from 2013 we didn't play finals so we, we pushed through after that five-year break to, to get to finals and we performed and then we you know to just get done in a game after you know we had a, we stood up, we had a crack and we were just beaten on the day by the better team. Um, when I think about the way we're going to approach next year, it is, it's probably more a reflection of our attitude and mentality now. Um, I suppose the lessons of O2, I mean, to be honest, if I had to think back 16 years, I might have a couple of relevant I might have a couple of really salient memories of what happened between O2 and O3. They may or may not be accurate. They may or may not be um, the way it really was. Um, and I'm very conscious of my bias in that regard. so I'm, I'd rather look at how we are now and how we feel now and what the opportunities are now rather than try to try to um, I suppose rehash, you know what what might have worked for us at that point. Well, our two thousand three year was 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 better than o2 Our home and away season was was infinitely better. Mm. We won the qualifying final in o3 went straight through to the the prelim, won the prelim really strongly, mm. um, and and are a mix of um, confident and um, and concerned. Um, when we played and got flogged by Brisbane in 03 by over 50 points, yeah, that that's the worst memory that I've had, <laughs> that I have in my footy because we just didn't perform on the day. Yeah, now I, I don't I don't that's a possibility with us. I wouldn't mind getting to the to getting the grand final in 2019 to find out what we're capable of. Um, but this group is a, a very different group. It's unique in its own in its own way. The club is very different. The coaching staffs very different. Um, and I think um, the environment that we're that we're a part of is um, is chalk and cheese mm. to the environment um, that, that I played in through the early 2000s so the challenges are different um I think that uh, we'll find the answers um, in and amongst ourselves and 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 the, the way that we've chosen to do it is just to aim a little higher um, the way we do things is, is sound we're still exploring what our best is and um, both through the environment of the football club and the way that we perform on-field. And, um, you yeah, know, if we maximise that, we'll give ourselves the best chance of success regardless of what the, the, other, the other competition is doing. So that's where our entire focus is, mate. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's, it's, I think everyone's enjoying their work and, and we're um, looking forward to, um, to kicking off.
2: As we all are, mate, and uh, you know, as we all know, you can't motivate a plant to grow, but you can give it the right environment to grow. And I think if there's one thing that's happening at the Collingwood Sporting Club, across uh, the elite teams that are there, whether that be in the AFL, AFLW, the VFL, the Netball, there is an environment there where you can belong, you're going to be respected, and you're going to be given every chance to be the best version of you. And I think that sort of has to be a prerequisite to anything worth sustaining in terms of long-term success. And you're a massive part of that. You were very clearly... Uh, you know identified as the right person to lead the football program through the review that Jeff Walsh did uh, there's no doubt that the Collingwood Football Club is set up now for uh, a long period of success and you've been uh, part of that both on field clearly now off field and you know, I think a fair chunk of your DNA is across a lot of the things that are happening in a good way as is uh, many other great people at the club as well mate but I yeah, know I that uh, all of us who are passionate, Colin, we won't mention who Pete barracks for because, you know, he actually still is gutted with the fact that you sort of turned your nose up to north uh, and came across <laughs> to the right side. We'll, we'll say
1: that, uh, we'll that for the next We'll say that for the next one because we know your time, Paul. But, mate, <laughs> uh,
2: I can say to you that, uh, you know, as someone who gets to see you witness what you do uh, with the communication skills, your leadership skills, and more importantly, who you are, as a human being I'm sure that Ray and Karen are very proud parents uh, I, I've got no doubts that you know when I see you have lunch with your dad and the, the, just the engagement that you got there it tells me that um, as you're on the cusp of about to launch into what is a very important football season you always make time to have uh, like the last time I saw you having lunch with your dad before that about five different people wanted to have photos with you wanted to have autographs <laughs> and I'm just thinking uh-huh. you know you didn't say no to anybody you had the big smile on your face and I think that's part mm. of who you are you're just someone who wants to engage you want to as you say not miss an opportunity to meet someone who's going to potentially change your life, and it's something I really admire and model from you, and uh, you know I'm very thankful for that opportunity that uh, I've got to witness that close hand. So, I think thanks, on behalf uh, of thanks for that, Rick. and mate, uh, on behalf of everybody, there'll be some um, there'll be lots of questions that will come our way. We'll answer them as best we possibly can. But I know Pete and I have been really looking forward to this. We appreciate you're right on the cusp of a very important sort of launch into the 2019 season, and you know we appreciate the gift of your time. It has been a gift, and our listeners will get some great content out of it. So. Thanks, Parks. It's been amazing. Everybody here, mate. Make sure you have a great year, mate, and uh, go pies. We
0: will. Cheers, guys. Thank
3: you.
0: We trust you enjoyed listening to Voices of Value, a shared conversation between Rick Rushton and Peter Kakos. Their views are not necessarily those of the wider world, but they should be. If you're keen to enhance the quality of your life even further in the future, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast source. Our website is voicesofvaluepodcast.com and we welcome both your feedback and ratings on the content we provide. Join the conversation again next week when Peter and Rick continue the search for truth, justice, and the value-added way.